we're done. But we are actually on our third value, historical Christian orthodoxy. Somebody said, praise God. Praise God. <laughs> and the other people said, what does that mean? Yeah. Matthew chapter 5. Beginning in 17 says, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, Jesus says. For I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not one of the smallest letter, not the least of the stroke of the pen will be by any means disappear from the law until it is accomplished. Jesus says that about the written word. What else did he say? We said that in Revelation 19. For I saw heaven and open up and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head was many crowns. He has a name written on him that only he knows himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in the blood of his enemies and his name he is the word of God. When we say this morning that we're one of our greatest values that we've saved to this point is historical Christian orthodoxy. That's a fancy way to say the sufficiency of the word. And sufficiency of the word is a fancy way also to say if the word said it, that's it. Done. I need not go anywhere else to any other source, everything that I need for godliness and living in this life, whether it's healing, whether it's uh, encouragement, whether it's resurrection life, education, whatever it is, it is found inside the word of God. All that you need is everything that you already have. You have the word of God and you have his Holy Spirit to empower you to carry it out. You have the sufficiency of the word hidden inside your hearts. Amen. Amen. Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation, heavens and on earth are hidden from God's sight. Everything, say everything. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him on whom you will give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus Christ, our God, Jesus Christ, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. You know what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, and he said this like this, all scripture Every single bit of it is God breathed. And it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the man of God, is that you? The man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every single good work that God has planned for you before you were even born. Saints, are you men and women of God today? Are you spirit-filled men and women of God today? Do you want to be thoroughly equipped for every good work that God has 
given you to carry out in life? Well, praise God. You are going to need the scripture to accomplish this. We've said it before and we'll say it again this morning. You can be a scholar of the word and dead in spirit. Amen. But you can also be spirit filled and stupid. I didn't say it. The word says that. Ecclesiastes 10.1. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. <laughs> you might know a thing, but what you do is what counts. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Oh, somebody's going to pick up on a political statement for that one. Even as he walks along the road, the fool lacks sense and shows everyone how stupid he is. That's what it says. Uh, unfortunately, it's not that funny of a subject because we live in a biblically ignorant generation. A biblically ignorant generation. Oh, you can know a lot about this subject and that subject. You can know a lot about science and math and everything else. You can know everything about your trade, but you can know nothing about the word, and therefore it could make you stupid. How do we know, or how do I know that this generation is that type of generation? Proverbs 12:1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Oh, correction's not really a thing that we like to receive these days, right? We despise discipline and we cringe at biblical direction. As soon as half of anybody who walks in here receives just a little bit of that, they say, uh, thank you, never mind. I mean, if you had a bone that needed to be corrected and put back in place and you went to the doctor and he snapped it back into place, you'd say, uh, what'd you do? Well, I was helping you. Okay. We despise discipline and cringe at biblical correction, but why? Because somewhere along the way, we have lost faith in God's word being sufficient for all things pertaining to this life. Somebody say all things. Saints, we must return back to guarding the kingdom culture, not the American culture, not the Chinese culture, not the not the Baptist culture. Not the Presbyterian culture. You must guard kingdom culture. And in order for you to know that, you need to know your word. We must return back to and guard kingdom culture that believes that God's word is sufficient for all things. Friends, that is historically a Christian Orthodox way of life. If he said it, it is done. Revelation said he is the word of God. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That's done. And he said what was written would not pass away until everything is accomplished. Not what was spoken and what is said and what we pray and get in our prayer closet, but what is written. Hmm. You with me this morning? Saints Remnant Church values the sufficiency of the collection of the 66 books in your hand. I didn't say any more than 66 because there's some of your Bibles that have a little more than that. And those, friends, are just historical books, which some of their history is quite off. Yeah, I'm talking about the Apocrypha and some of your Bibles that may have used to collect that. But you've gained sense and understood that God's inspired word comes from the 66 books in your hand. We call that the Bible, our Bible. Amen. And we believe that it's sufficient for all things. Say all things. Saints, you need nothing else in order to live a life pleasing to God. You need nothing else in order to live a victorious life. 
You have the sufficiency of the scripture found right in your hands. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, he said all scripture is what? God breathe. And what was what scripture was Paul pointing to? He wasn't pointing to your newer testament. It wasn't written. He was pinning some of it himself. What scripture was he pointing to? He was pointing to the law, the prophet in the writings, the collection of your Hebrew Bible. You call your Old Testament. I can't do that. I'll call it at best older testament. Amen. Because it's not old and done away with. Jesus just said it. It's not going to pass away. And the commentary on the old called your newer testament will also help you to get there collectively. It's one fantastic work. Amen. So let me just give you a few scriptures from a law, a prophet and a writing, because this is how the writers of your newer Testament derive their words. Deuteronomy 4.1 says, Hear, O Israel, listen, the statues and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform, I am teaching you today to perform, do so so that you might live and go in and take possession of the land which is the Lord. The God of your fathers, he is giving you this. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God in which I am commanding you. He's saying, listen, I'm going to give you this promise. This is the Lord's battle, and he's going to complete it for you. But when you're in the land, you need some instructions of how to possess the land. How many of you know you can be standing on a promise but not in a promise? Deuteronomy 32, 47. They are not just idle words for you. The word of God is not just idle words for you. His instruction are not just idle words. Listen to what it says. They are your life. Somebody needs to note that one down. Deuteronomy 32, 47. These are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them you will live long in the land. You are crossing into the Jordan to do something, to possess it. Wow. Saints, listen to me this morning. Israel had no scientists. They had no mathematicians. They had no psychologists. Yet they had God's word, and what he had said was enough for them. They, needed, they had everything that they needed to possess and prosper in the promise when they had God's word. Because God's words... Are sufficient. Amen? Amen. Listen to what is said in the prophets. Did you know that first Kings was actually in the prophets? First Kings 429 said God gave Solomon wisdom and great, very great insight. Do you remember this man? He wasn't born like that. He prayed for it and God gave it to him. What a day. That would have been an interesting day. You woke up one day knowing a few things. You knew woke up the new day and going, man, I got an illumination that I never had before. <laughs> yeah, that can happen, saints. When you read his word, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breath of understanding as measureless as the sand of the seashores. Man, who wants some of that? Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all men of the east and greater than all wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than any other man, including I'm going to need wisdom for these names. Ethan, the Ezraite, wiser than he man. Come on, somebody. Anybody in my age group? Hey, wiser than the master of the universe. 
He had the power. He-Man, <laughs> Kalko, and Darda, and the son of Mahal. And his fame spread on all the, uh, in all the earths and all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He described plant life from the cedar of the Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He also taught about animals. He taught about birds. He taught about reptiles. He knew everything about fish. Come on, somebody like go fishing with him. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Wow. What am I getting at, saints? Solomon had no modern technology like you do. Solomon did not have Alexander's, Alexandria's famous collection and library that now is burned down. Solomon didn't have Oxford. He didn't have Cambridge. He didn't have a doctrine in music. Yet Solomon became a master of philosophy. He was a major in music. He was a master of botany. He was wise, the wisest zoologist, even wiser than Steve Irvin. He was a master of all ologies that there was. Why? Because he had the scripture, which is sufficient for all things. Listen to what the writings say. Psalm 19, 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Guess what? Reviving the soul. How many of you have been praying forever, but you've neglected your word? And maybe it's the word of God that's going to give you a revival. Amen. The statue of the Lord is trustworthy. Watch this. Making the wise simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, more pure than much gold, and are sweeter than honey. The honey from the comb. Come on, somebody. Somebody say God's word is sweet. Saints, why do you think that it is an all-out warfare of excuses mounted against you when you simply set out to read God's word every day? Oh, you can do a lot of things. You can go to work. You can set a schedule and do a lot of things that you think are important. But when you set out to simply just read the word of God for one hour a day, there's an all-out onslaught of unseen things that keeps you from simply doing that. Because it's your solution. Because it revives the soul. How many of you are waking up and doing everything that you're called to do that day, but you're doing it on an empty tank? Oh, you prayed. Okay, praise God. But prayer is to get orders from the Lord and discern them by his word and then carry them out. Best part of waking up what? Come on, somebody. Best parts waking up is... Jesus in my cup. Amen. Y'all funny. <laughs> Saints, wisdom originates from the word of God, not the minds of intelligent men. Are you with me this morning? Joy and happiness in this life are derived from applying God's word to your life, not popping serotonin pills. I said not popping serotonin blockers. That's not where you get your joy from. Not binging on entertainment. Not becoming more successful. Not getting more money. Not acquiring more sleep. 
The word of God gives light. The word of God gives light to your eyes. It literally says it here. It literally brightens your bloodshot eyes, opens your perspective to see the truth and shines light in your dark path. Why? Because the scripture is sufficient. Saints, when we say we value historical Christian orthodoxy, that's just a fancy way of saying that we seek the scripture first and all first on all topics in our life on everything pertaining to life. We go to the word first, not second. That means we don't. We don't seek a denominational creed. Or a denominational stance. I don't go to wait. Well, I wonder what my pastor said. Not what the Pope decreed and definitely not what Dr. Phil or Oprah or Dr. Osborne or whoever else says. Come on, somebody. So not what the morality of the or the consensus of the community and what they say morality is. We don't seek them for these things. Not what is gender according to your preference or what is accepted or rejected according to your church denomination. We don't seek these things. We seek the scripture. Saints, truth does not answer to your sensuality or your sexuality or your dogmatic stances. Truth simply stands. It's absolute. And you do well to find it written in the scripture. I want to give you some direct quotes from one of um, a message at Life Changing Ministries in Houston. I'm going to call them our sister church just because when any one of them listens to me, they prefer for me to call them our brother church. But uh, that's the way I get them to call me. So, <laughs> A direct quote from Life Changing Ministries in a, entitled, uh, in a message entitled Into the Darkness, the Sufficiency of Scripture, preached on April 26, 2020. And it was just too good for me not to to accurately quote it this morning. Are you ready? Here's where they start, and it is worth a repeat. They start with a John Piper quote. Why? Because John Piper is a Reformed theologist and has a heavy influence in our land. John Piper says this on the sufficiency of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture does not mean that the Scripture is all we need to live obediently. To be obedient in the sciences, we need to read science and study nature. To be obedient in economics, we need to read economics and observe the world of business. To be obedient in sports, we need to know the rules of the game. To be obedient in marriage, we need to know the personality of our spouse. To be obedient as a pilot, we need to know how to fly a plane. In other words, the Bible does not tell us all we need to know in order to be obedient stewards uh, in this world. Saints, why this statement seems to have an element of wisdom, earthly and common, practical, unspiritual wisdom, it does not set the scripture as sufficient, foundational, and supreme source of truth in every area of my life. Unfortunately, this is not an isolated event or an unusual response to a topic. Some of you know what um, gotquestions.com or gotquestions.org is, don't you? Yeah. 
They also own CompellingTruth.com. And this is a statement from CompellingTruth.com. Management skills, counseling techniques, and other methods may provide some degree of help, yet other scripture addresses the ultimate issues of fallen humanity. God's salvation through Jesus Christ and the principles for Christian living by God's spirit that allow for living the abundant life. Now listen, at first glance, this sounds like it is more accurate and a more accurate view than the first article. In some ways it is. But as you examine it closely, it implies that scripture addresses only the main or spiritual issues of your life. As you read further, you begin to realize that it is not an exaltation of the sufficiency of scripture, but rather the segmentation into areas where the scripture is or is not useful for your life. In regards to internal unseen issues of the heart or issues otherwise considered, quote unquote, spiritual, the scriptures are sufficient. But somebody say, but. But when considering everything else in the world deemed practical things, you must look somewhere else for something else so that you can find success in these matters. LCM quote, in the darkness of our modern times with one sentence, men will espouse the virtues of the sufficiency of scripture while in the very next sentence slander the scripture by separating it, segmenting it and sequestering it in order to not have to live by its sufficiency at all. If the word of God, saints, was sufficient for education, if it was sufficient for government if it were sufficient for practical living in the minds of the majority of Americans, you would not be living in a post-Christian society where confusion reigns, immorality is separated, and the love, I'm sorry, celebrated, and the love of most are growing cold at a rapid rate. In other words, these men are acknowledging with their mouths that scripture is sufficient while demonstrating in their practice that they do not believe that it is sufficient for the majority of areas of our lives. Anything deemed quote unquote practical. So when I'm sick, where do I run to? Where is my, we say that, but honestly assess your actions. And the first thing I do when I'm sick, where do I run? Do I, do I ask myself, is this a spiritual issue or is this a physical issue? Like I have a cold today. You're like, well, of course that's physical. Maybe. You see, all these things are tied together. When I have a panic attack, my first question is not, is this issue, is it issue of my soul? I'm asking myself, is this, am I gluten intolerant? You see, we laugh about these things, but it's real. I mean, listen, I don't know what's going on, so I'm going to go ask Google. I mean, God. Do we not do these things? Right? Anybody grow up, anybody close to my age grew up with something called an eight ball. It was a little toy. It's a little eight ball, and you'd shake the thing, and it had a little um, clear little spot. Inside of the eight ball was some liquid, and inside of the eight ball was a little dice or something. It had different fortune cookie like statements on it. So you would shake it and you'd be like, eh, Am I going to be rich today? And it'd say, Maybe, I don't know. What are you going to do about it to get there? And you're like, What? It was like, you know, you know how fortune cookies do. And you shake it again until you got the answer you wanted. Man, did that prep our generation for how we're living to God? 
If that's not divination, I don't know what is. Some of you grew up Catholic. Anybody in here grew up Catholic? I grew up with a lot of Catholics. Some of you grew up Catholic and other, others of you grew up Protestant. But unfortunately, I was raised by the devil. Until Jesus Christ saved me. Amen. Although I was imprisoned by many things that never gave me the opportunity to be enslaved by doctrines of men. Or the trappings of denominationism. I mean, denominationalism. Saints, when I fell in love with Jesus for, for setting me free from my chains, I didn't have anybody teaching me the, possibility, the possibilities that his kingdom was limited. Or that his love letter that was given to me was for some other people in some other privileged century. I did not have somebody telling me, right, that what you're reading here is God's encounter in man is different in this day than it was that day. I didn't have those things, you see, because I was raised by the devil. And so the Lord knew what he was doing in his sovereignty in my life, keeping me from the trappings of some things that some of you grew up in. My relationship with God began and remains based upon his absolute infallible truth in the basic instructions for living called his Bible. It simply tells me how to give a heavenly transaction down here on earth. And I'm good with that. I need nothing else added to it. His word is sufficient. Amen. Listen to the attitude that was rising during something called the Protestant Reformation, which all of you have been affected by. This was a time, this statement is happening at a time when Protestants, before Protestants actually lost their protest. I'm going to show you a clip from something called the Belgic Confession. This dates back to 1561 AD. Its author was Guido de Bras, not de Brasso. That man's in Peru doing a great work for the Lord. Guido de Brasso. No, de Bras. Guido de Bras, who then became, uh, his name simply became J Jerome. <laughs> because everybody had trouble with his name. <laughs> uh, listen, this man was a pastor of the churches in Netherlands in a time of cultural opposition to the word of God. Are you with me? You're with me because that's also the kind of generation that you live in. During his time, the churches were experiencing extraordinary, extraordinary persecution precisely because, listen to this, they saw the scripture as sufficient for every area of their life. That means they saw the word sufficient for their government. They saw the word being sufficient for their diets. They saw the word being sufficient for their money management. They saw the word being sufficient for their mental health. They saw the word being sufficient for their marriages. And they saw the word being sufficient for their sexuality. And they were persecuted for it. Their oppressive governments saw them as rebels and submitted them to torture. In a letter sent to King Philip II, De Bras begins with these words. We are ready to obey the government in all lawful things, but we will not. But we, I'm sorry, we will offer our backs to stripes, our tongues to knives, our mouths to gags, and our whole bodies to the fire rather than deny the truth expressed in God's word. Look at this slide with me when I get it. I'm slide happy today, so you don't, you don't have to be okay, but it's worth it. Amen? This is the Belgic Confession. 
and go. That was compelling truth. I got you. I said that to you, but didn't show you. This is the Belgic Confession, Article 7, The Sufficiency of Scripture, written by this man. He says, we believe that the Holy Scriptures contain the will of God completely and that everything one, mu uh, and that everything one must believe to be saved is sufficiently taught in it. For since the entire manner of service which God requires of us is described in it at great length, no one, even, the, uh, even an apostle or an angel from heaven, as Paul says, ought to teach other than what the Holy Scriptures have already taught us. For, this, for since it is forbidden to add to or subtract from the word of God, this plainly demonstrates that the teaching is perfect and complete in all respects. You say, well, that doesn't happen in our generation. Uh, please, we've been four years in Denton. And if you have wine at Passover, somebody told you you were just in sin. Where does the Bible tell you that? Jesus drank wine. Hello? And tell me that's not adding to the word. If you get drunk, I'm going to rebuke you straight up right here from this. Because that's sin and the word says it. Therefore, we must not consider human writings, no matter how holy they, their authors may have been. We must not consider human writings equal and divine, uh, equal to divine writings. Nor may we put customs, even our Christian customs, nor the majority, nor the age, nor the passage of time, or persons, nor councils, decrees, or official decisions above the truth of God. For truth is above everything else. Who speaks like that these days? Oh, Rim the Church does. He goes on to say, for all human beings are liars by nature and more vain than vanity itself. Therefore, we reject with all our hearts everything that does not agree with this infallible rule. As we are taught to do by the apostles when they say, test the spirits to see if they are of God. And also, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Oh, that'd be rude, Pastor. I don't really know. Uh, no. No shalom, no shalom. Shalom is the only thing I hang out with. Divine order with man and with God. I got peace. You got some too. Let's hang out. If you want to bring your shalom into my house, it's because I'm going to rub mine off on you or you can go somewhere else. Clear enough? Saints, this confession sprung up from exalting the sufficiency of Scripture in a time when professing believers held things like church tradition, papal authority, and fictional books like Dante's Inferno that became official church doctrine on purgatory as authoritative truth. A fictional book became authoritative truth in a culture of Catholicism and is still reaping its demonic Benefits today. And tell me your Protestant churches haven't picked up on things like left behind and everything else and call it truth.
DeBras proved this confession that he wrote was much more than just words as he died as a martyr for the faith because of it in 1567 for believing simply that the sufficiency of scripture was for all things. They killed him for this. I believe that the word of God is more than enough for my life. And they said, I don't like that. You need to be removed from this planet. Get ready, saints. You've been a pampered American church for too long. It's coming. It's here. You don't need to woke up. You need to wake up. I don't think this guy would actually had a problem when a plague broke out, maybe even a COVID plague, whether he shut his church doors or not. Because he probably didn't get his instruction from the government that sent his church government money, or he didn't get his he didn't get his instructions from his culture. Let me go and seek what they think. He got his church, he's got his instructions from the word that says, forsake not the assembly and saw himself as a priest of God and run into the plague instead of away from the plague. And so he simply said, I guess my doors are open like an emergency room. And if you need healing, this is the best place to find it. So why would I close my church walls? I'm going to be a man like Nehemiah and say, should a man like me shut the door? Should I run into the temple and hide? No, for this time, this is my time. This is what we are called to do. We are called to stand for the word of God and get our instructions from the word of God to tell us how to stand. You know why? Not because you're in some special generation, just because you are simply a Christian. Saints, there's nothing wrong. Listen to me where your minds might be going. There's nothing wrong with Bible studies. There's nothing wrong with cultural study aids. There's nothing wrong with topical commentaries to help you understand your Bible better. But those things are a blessing to help you understand the sufficient word of God that's already in your hand. The word of God is the answer for all things. And when we fail to guard that historical Christian orthodox truth, that many men have died to preserve for you, you and your children are the ones who will come away with receiving less than what Jesus paid for you to receive. Ephesians 1.22, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. That's you, which is his body. Watch this, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Every single aspect of who you are and in this world is filled with him. How do we reject that? Ephesians 3.18, may so that you may have power together with all the saints. What? So that you may have what? Power with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you might be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Uh, excuse me. What measure does God not have? He feels all things. So any empty place in your life, spirit, soul, or flesh can be filled by him. Every single aspect. Until, Ephesians 4.13, we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure. The whole measure of the fullness of Messiah Yeshua. 
Oh, I'm not done. Colossians 1.19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Who? King Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself every single thing both under in, uh, on earth and in heaven. Whether things on earth or whether in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. Colossians 2 9 says this for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form you don't have to look anywhere else you just need to look to King Jesus and you have been given the fullness of Jesus Christ you have been given partial when the spirit was poured out on Pentecost somebody didn't get 20 and this one got 60 percent and that one got 30 percent no every single one of you got a hundred percent somebody say 100 you got the fullness of Jesus Christ, who is the head over every power and every authority. And that includes every authority that has a demonic hold in any area of your life. Do you believe these words this morning, saints? Do you believe these words or you just want to really, really believe these words? Are you following me this morning? Saints, historically, real Orthodox Christians were those who lived and died believing that God's written word was more than enough for them in every single area of their life. Every single one. Can I give you a little small demonstration this morning since I'm slide happy? This is Adam. Let me explain this to you this morning. So what you're looking at is a diagram of who you are. You are a three-part being, your Bible says. Spirit, soul, and flesh. Let's start there for a minute. Genesis 2-7 lays the foundation for all things. Genesis 2-7 says, For the Lord God formed the man of the dust, that's flesh, and of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, the neshumakah, the violent breath of God, the spirit of God. And the man became a living nephesh, a living being. That's soul, spirit, soul, and flesh. Man is a three-part being. Are you with me this morning? The realm of the spirit is where we get our is where we deal with our faith. It's where we deal with our hope. It's where we deal with our love. It is the seat of your intimacy. Do you follow me this morning? In your soul, the realm of your soul is where your mind, your will and your emotions are. Your reasoning, your desire and your feelings come from this part of you. The realm of your flesh is sight, taste, touch, smell, hearing. All these things are part of your flesh. We understand this one the best, don't we? Yeah, there's a reason for that. Listen, when man was born, he was born of God, but something happened. Genesis 2.15, it says the Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. Somebody say work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from the tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We call that law. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. We know the story, right? They didn't remain in union with God. They disobeyed. Eve disobeyed. Adam came to her, fell into disobedience with her. And so then man disobeyed God, losing Communion with God. Falling from perfect relationship with God and therefore distorting the image that he was supposed to project to the whole world. He was called to carry the image of God, but when he disobeyed, the image was distorted. Are you with me? Hmm. I got a question for you. 
did God lie when he said that you will surely die? Because Adam and Eve were still standing after the disobedience, weren't they? Did God lie when he said you will surely die? No. Adam and Eve became spiritually dead and in need of being born again of the spirit, just like everyone else that they produced after them. What Adam produces is what Adam is. Adam was fallen. He produces fallen and every man's in need of a regeneration. Romans 5.12 says it like this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, death through sin, and in the same way, death came to all men because all sinned. So originally, man's spirit was infused or in co-union or communion with God. Are you with me? But something happened. Something happened when disobedience happened and Adam became dead in spirit, lost in soul and decaying in his flesh. Y'all tracking with me this morning? When man sinned, he caused a spiritual divorce in what he caught and what was called his. The Hebrews call it their lieb. We say our heart. It's the center of a man. Right. When he died spiritually, his soul was affected. Becoming lost, a lost soul and his flesh began to do something called decaying. Do you see that? Well, why didn't just see just die spiritually and everything else was OK? Because all these things are one. Three but one. Interesting thought. So the spirit in, in the realm of the spirit, faith was broken. Love was transgressed and intimacy was gone. In the realm of the soul, Eve's mind was attacked with her lies. Her will overrode God's will. She ate what was forbidden and she became emotionally unstable in her soul. And then in the realm of the flesh, Eve listened to something other than God's word. It seemed right in her eyes once she tasted it and she saw that it didn't immediately kill her. That must have left her confused, right? Because God said until she realized for the first time that she had a cold, she had a wrinkle, she had a sinus infection, she had a cramp. Because her flesh was decaying. Something unseen happened that manifested in what was seen. Because man looked for sufficiency outside of what God originally said. He was now spiritually dead, lost in his soul, and his flesh was on a time clock. Did I go too fast through that? Is that okay? <laughs> so Adam, once in co-union with God, falls. The immediate ramifications of that is he's dead in spirit in the center of the man. His soul becomes a lost, wandering soul, and his flesh begins to decay, and God shows up and says, where are you, Adam? You think God didn't know where he was? Oh, God knew where he was. Adam didn't know where he was. That's lost, my friend, and that's what we were before we got the good news. Praise God. That's not the end of the story. 1 Corinthians 15, says it like this. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made again. Hebrew call him... The new Adam, the new Adam, the prototype for what you are now. 
first fruits from the dead, praise God. So that's also your future. And you know what happened? When that happened, the Bible says you became a new what? A new creation. You know what God calls his new creation? Sons. In your Bible, the word sons is those who are like their father. Your Bible also goes on to say if your actions are that of the devil, then well, then the father's your devil or the devil's your father. But if your actions are that of the Lord, then we know who your father is. We don't have to ask you if you can say you're saved. We can see it. John 3, 5 says this, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water. That's from your mother and born of the spirit. That, my friend, is of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. And you should not be surprised by my saying. You must, you must, you must be born again of spirit. Hmm. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit of God. You know what that makes you understand this for a minute. You're like you see yourself as a flesh with a spirit, but the Bible sees you as a spirit with flesh. Different perspective, right? Because your flesh is decaying and it'll need a resurrection. But there's some part of you that lives forever, whether it gets resurrected or not. Saints, when you fully surrendered your life to God and stopped playing games with him. You became born again in spirit. That dead spirit, watch this, your Bible calls man spirit. So what is man spirit? In the definition of God, it's a dead spirit. Nevertheless, you call it living. He calls it dead. You know, how many of you know God has different definitions than you have? That dead spirit that your Bible calls man spirit was then infused and reunited with Holy Spirit. And this that Holy Spirit is the spirit of God. You were reborn. Look, you went to a, you are now a new creation. You're no longer Adam, which is dirt. Not just a form of a man with with only man's spirit inside. Now you got Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that was divorced from Adam is now reunited with man's spirit. And you are reborn from within. And you know what that causes your soul to do, it begins a process of being redeemed. And when that happens, what else is coming for you? Your flesh in time will be resurrected. Man, that's good news. Somebody who said woohoo when we got to the flesh part. Because <laughs> that's what we feel at first, right? It's what we're most acquainted with when we should be mostly acquainted with the spirit. Watch this. First Corinthians 15, If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written. The first Adam became a living being, a living nephesh. The last Adam became a living spirit. <laughs> some pneuma, some ruach. The spirit, the spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after the spiritual, that's like a chicken and egg thing. Which one came first? The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man was from heaven. That's why you can say lost people are just dead men walking. Just a form of a man, but you're not a man until you got the man living inside of you. 
As was the earthly man, so are those who are of earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. As ju and just as we have been born in the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. That's good news, saints. So what's your new reality? Your new reality is that he's restoring your image. And you are being renewed to the image of Christ. That's your story. And you're going to spend the rest of your life getting there. Amen. Saints, when your spirit was reborn, it started the redemption process of your lost soul. When this regeneration work, when this, re, when this regeneration work began in you, it will end in the process of a resurrection for your decaying flesh. This is why we say, I was saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. My spirit has been saved, my soul is being saved, and my flesh will be saved on the day of the resurrection. Now let me ask you this, saints. Which one of these three parts of your life is God not able to save you from? I'll ask that a different way. Which one of these parts of your life is God's word not sufficient for? Is it the realm of your spirit? Is, he, is the word, scripture, written word, not sufficient for your faith? What about your hope? What about love? What about intimacy? That's why we call that word into me, you see. The very deep things of your heart. Is the word of God not sufficient for your intimacy? How many of you read 1 John? Hello? You say, I, I love you, but you don't love God, then now nah, you're lying to yourself. Oh, I know. I love God, but I don't really love you. No, that doesn't work that way. You can't have one or the other. Your relationship with each other is no better than your relationship with God. If your relationship with God is good, then it'll be good with me. Hello? Is the scripture of God sufficient for the realm of this soul? Your mind in a matter. Your will in a matter, your emotions. How many of you know you got emotions? How many of you know they're a blessing from God? And that you were, they were meant to serve you, not enslave you. How many of you got born again and the emotions are still there? Yeah, there's a reason for that. Because you'd have authority over those, and you know what helps you get authority over those? The word of God. What about the realm of the flesh? Is the scripture not sufficient for your sight, taste, touch, smell, and hear? What you see, what you, what you taste, what you touch, what you hear? Is the scripture not sufficient for these areas? I'm telling you, it's where your healing comes from. Because when you were infused and reunited with the Holy Spirit, everything changed for you. Somebody else moved in your house. It's not yours any longer. It's his. And he's able. He's able to deal with you in the realm of your soul. He's able to deal with you in the realm of your spirit. He's able to deal with you in the realm of your flesh. The word of God is sufficient for every single part of you. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this pertaining to the realm of the spirit. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives right in the center of you? 
First Corinthians 6:14 says it like this: By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? And he's like, and you're like, yeah, okay, okay. And he's like, no, 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 you don't really get it, but listen to me. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? You're like, okay, now what's all that about? Man, God has passionate about this area. Why? Because he moved into your bedroom. And you're sharing it with another. Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? Can you hear the jealousy of God? Do you know the word of God says God's a jealous God? He cleaned your house. He purified you. You want to share it with another? And he's like, hey, hello, somebody else lives here now. For it is said, the two will become one flesh, whatever you unite yourself to. And he's saying, hello, you are already united. But he who unites himself with the Lord, he is one in spirit. You are now intertwined in union in spirit and the soul and the flesh must follow. Saints, are you without answers for all your spiritual needs? Where should you run to for your solutions? I say it all the time. You do not have to pray about what is written. The word of God is your solution there. You know what we do? We read the scripture and then we go, I got to go pray about whether I'm going to do that or not. Wow. God's word is sufficient for every spiritual need that you have. Do you believe that, saints? Then stop seeking natural intimacy to pacify spiritual issues that God reserves the answer for you in his word. What about the realm of the soul? Because we can agree. We're like, oh, yeah. When I think spiritual things, I think of God. But as far as like now we're getting a little closer to like earthly and natural, natural and practical, like fleshly things. There's somewhere in between there called my soul, which I, and that's kind of mysterious and I don't really understand that. So I'm not really sure if the word God's word, his written word is sufficient for that. Oh, yeah, it's sufficient for that. Is God's word sufficient for your soul, saints? We like to say and simplify that your soul is your mind, your will and the seat of your emotions. Is God's word sufficient for your mental illness? Okay, I thought that was something that we go pay a doctor for. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, watch this, by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Before that, you can't test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Saints, before you gave your entire life to King Jesus, you were mentally ill and in need of mental renewal. And the world tells you what mental illness is, but the word says you're all mentally ill before you have the mind of Christ. Outside of the mind of Christ, when you are actually doing something and it's not according to the word, you're having a mental crisis. And of course, You're about to find out that it produces a fruit that you don't like. You need to get the mind of Christ because you are practicing mental illness. Your whole body, spirit, soul, and flesh were decaying with sin and death and and were undergoing a spiritual cancer. You were ill, but then you were born again, and those things begin to turn around. Your whole body was sick, including your mindset. And Jesus began a process of healing. But now, things have changed. 
Any of you go to a physician or a doctor, right? He gives a prescription, but you don't take it. You see, that's what we do. Because when we're like, oh, I got to apply this word daily. Right? Like, Joe's, he's, he's at, that's a, Joe, man, and my back hurts. He's like, listen, I'll come and we can do PT. I'm like, how long is that going to take? About three months. And I'm like, Psh, give me a pill. <laughs> that's a mentality, isn't it? And that's what we want. We want to cherry pick a scripture, get a revelation in the moment, ask for instant healing instead of apply God's word and watch yourself be healed for the rest of your life. I don't know how many people I've seen healed instantly come back and they're worse than when they first began. You know, the Greek word for soul, it's a psyche. Where we get the word psychologist. Saint psychologists study the pattern of lost souls and point out its actions. Oh, y'all know what I think about this. I don't need a psychiatrist to charge me a phenomenal amount of money to tell me about my sin nature. The Bible does that. Galatians 5.19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. <laughs> I would not do well in a psychiatrist's office. Well, sir, this is what's wrong with you. That's obvious. Well, this is why you're feeling like that. Well, that's obvious. Like, give me a solution. They're obvious. Sexual immorality and the fruit that comes from that. Impurity and debauchery and the fruit that comes from that. Idolatry and witchcraft. That is control, friend. Biblical witchcraft is mind control. And there's too much of that going on in the body of Christ and in our families. Control. Witchcraft. Hatred. Discord. Jealousy. Fits of rage, selfish ambition. Let me just pause on that one for the men for a minute. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. That is a little bit of muttering in the back so I can just separate my little group over here to your little group. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Saints, if I'm going to go to a soul doctor... I'm going to make sure that he understands that I have a spiritual issue and that it is affecting my soul and that he has actually has a prescription from the word of God and a dose of the Holy Ghost. Woo! Saints, the Bible's not mute on this subject of my mind or my will or my emotions because God did not set me up for failure. He set me up to flourish. I got everything I need. The word of God is sufficient. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit was for you to be able to carry out the things that God asked you because you're going to need supernatural enablement. It wasn't so that you can just speak in tongues. It wasn't that you can just get a prophetic dream. Those are byproducts. Those are gifts from God. You didn't, you didn't have to work for those. He just gave them to you. And you know what? They challenge your faith every time you're operating them. There's a reason for that because your faith needs to increase in order to carry out what he's asked you to do because the things that he's asked and put in your life to do is going to take some overcoming power. The word sufficient, amen? His prescription is sufficient, and it is the word of God. Saints, the realm of the soul is the seat of my desires that are tested by the word of God. The realm of the soul is the seat of my reasoning, where the word of God tells me whether it's cornal or whether it's divine. The realm of the soul is where my feelings are checked by God's word to see whether they are my feelings or his feelings and who's having some strong feelings in the house. 
I need to know whether I'm in communion with God, if I'm one with him and in union. And this happens in the seat of my soul. And friends, if you're ill in your soul, even though you've been born again in spirit, it's trapped between your flesh and your spirit. And you need those dudes to get on board with each other. Listen to what the Bible says in the realm of the flesh. And I love this. Hebrews 2.14. Since the children have flesh and blood, <laughs> he too shared in the humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. God didn't run away from our problems and he didn't do it from heaven. He infiltrated and overtake, overtook our soul, our spirit, our souls, and our flesh. Every single part of it. That power of death, that is the devil, and freed those who all their lives were in slavery to the fear of death. Don't you know the fear of a day for you dying can cause you illness today? Wow. Why go so far as to step into the flesh, God? Well, if the devil can penetrate all things, can God not penetrate all things? You see, we give more faith to what the devil can do than what our God can do. We have no problem believing the devil can penetrate spirit, soul, and flesh, but for some reason, we cannot fathom that God's word is sufficient to reach my spirit, my soul, and my flesh. I got this illness, and that's in my flesh, and well, okay, well then, the word's not sufficient for that, but listen, I'm a spiritual being. I, got, I love the Lord. Hello, you need to return back to your faith in the sufficiency of his word. You know what the funny thing is? The flesh is the first thing that we ask God to save us from, right? And it's the last thing that he really pays attention to or finalizes. It's because he's not worried about it. He knows, he understands what we're talking about today. He understands, right, in order to get to your flesh, he had to get to your spirit man first. Is what we worry about the most what God worries about the least? Remember Hebrews 11 with me for a minute, uh, verse 32. And what more shall I say? Do, I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weaknesses were turned into strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Watch this, women. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. These, these people knew the end of the story. Saints, this is what the ancients, the scripture says, were commended for. Is that the, what type of faith this is to you? Ancient faith? Is it archaic? Is this an archaic way of thought for you? No. They were commended for that because they knew what it was to please God. People like Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, and Guido de Bras, the Netherlands pastor we talked about, do not risk their lives and die for mere words on paper, friends. They do so because they know what is written has the power to cause them to conquer demonic kingdoms that are dominating their souls. They do so because they are those who establish justice 
where there is none. Gain the promise for their families of good health. Shut the mouth of ravenous beasts that you can't see that seek to torment your children. They believe the word of God when it was taught to them. When it says God's power is made perfect in my weakness. They believe that. It says that women receive back their dead. Why? They receive back their, their dead loved ones from the, from the grave. Because these were the type of women that God's building in this place. Women who receive back their loved ones from the dead are not the type of women who take the doctor's first response. They go ask God first. Men of God like this are men who refuse to be released from torture. They're not doing so to gain a legacy, friends. They do that because they believe the word of God when it says that even if I suffer or even if I die, I'm dying in Christ, so therefore I live on the last day. Why? Because the word said it. That's it. The sufficiency of the word. Saints, you were once spiritually dead, a spiritually dead lost soul, daily decaying and on your way to perpetual separation from God. But when you heard God's word, everything as you know it changed for eternity. You accepted that word and you were spiritually born again. You were redeemed back from the dead and now you're on your way to a resurrection of your flesh. And you know why? Because God's word's sufficient. I said God's word's sufficient. Isaiah 55 10 says it like this. And as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without first watering the earth and making it bud and flourish. So it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes forth from my mouth, says the Lord. It will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out with joy and you will lie down and be led in shalom in peace. That's where God's word come from. And God's word has come from heaven and been planted into your heart. Yeah. It's been planted into your leave, into the center of who you are. And you have been reborn and therefore your soul is being redeemed and your flesh will be resurrected. And so somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Saints, if you believe God's word is sufficient, the doctor is not the first one that you run to. He's the last. But I'm willing to bet that if we can understand what we're talking about today, it'll be rarely needed. The psychiatrist wouldn't be the solution to your childhood trauma when you realize that the word of God is the solution for your soul pain. And you wouldn't be running after soothing worship music and meditations to empty your mind. That'd be the last thing on your to-do list, saints. Because you would realize that you'd stop running from your past and emptying your mind of things you don't want to think of when you realize that you could fill your mind with the word of God and it's sufficient for the pain that's going on right here. Saints, if you believe that the word of God is sufficient for every single part of you, spirit, soul, and flesh, it's not going to be pills you run to. It's not going to be alcohol that you run to. It's not going to be sex that satisfies. It's not going to be your work. It's not going to be your money. It's not going to be your careers. It's not going to be your social media. It's not going to be your relationships or your entertainment that you run to to numb the pain and fill the void. It's going to be his word because his word is sufficient. 
every single area of my life, spirit, soul, and flesh, should be subjected to the sufficiency of the scripture, and you will receive healing. What are you afraid of? Maybe you're not afraid. Maybe you've just grown up in an ignorant generation that doesn't understand that you have the solution in your hand. And so you're running here and running there trying to get it. You say, Pastor, well, are you saying we're one of those Father, Son, and Holy Bible people? No. I'm saying 17 times Jesus made the statement, it is written. And in John 5.39, he says it like this. You diligently study these scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. But these scriptures, my friend, testify about me. Is he diminishing the scripture? Oh, no, he's putting it on his right footing. He's telling you where to look. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. How many of you say, I love Jesus, but when, you're, when the word gives you an answer and you don't want to do it, you are rejecting him. Isn't that a little strange if you live in the same house with somebody and you kind of just like, what do you call it, walk on the eggshells or your cold shoulder and you're like, up. Is that intimate? No, it's division. And that's what happens when he moves into the seat of your center. And you say, hey, I love you, but your word is a little too hard to do. Well, friend, I'm just trying to heal you. I don't trust you. I wouldn't say that to you, Jesus. I mean, okay. Saints, I'm saying they're one and the same. Did you know the word of God and Jesus is the one and the same? Did you know he's the living word of God? I don't have to make that up. I can say it to you. I can read it to you. You can say that I, I believe in the sufficiency of Christ and not believe in the sufficiency of his scriptures. I believe in the sufficiency of his grace. And you think grace is actually like the, this big gray open area for you to screw up. No, grace is empowerment for you to walk away from sin and get the clarification of how to do so from his word. I said grace is empowerment. Do you believe in the sufficiency of God's grace? Do you believe in the sufficiency of his word? Well, remember what John 1, 1 said. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. Oh, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things are made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. And that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not understand it. How many of you got saved? The light moved in. You're like, what is going on? It's like somebody turned on the light and all the cockroaches are running. I thought I just got saved. And he said, you did. I'm cleaning the house and you didn't understand what was going on because you have been living in darkness. And when the light comes in and that happens to you, all of a sudden you're like, oh, you see, my mind is mentally ill and it's in need of clarification. But it starts in my spirit and it's got to saturate my soul so that I can understand what's going on and get my emotions right so I can calm down and surrender to the regeneration. Hmm. Jesus is the word of God, amen? And the details of his DNA are written right in his word for you to receive healing. Anybody got some funky medication from a doctor before? Took too much of it and you're like, what the heck? 
oh, I didn't read the bottle. Oh, yeah. Read the book of Acts. They were drunk in the spirit. They just took a little too much dose of the Holy Ghost, huh? But you cannot just hear the word. Saints, you must receive the word. It's not a war of attrition. It's a war of submission. Surrendering. He comes in to the seat of the center of who you are. You are reborn. And then a process begins of co-union. Will you give me this? Will you allow me to move that furniture out the way? It's gaudy. I don't like it. We got to get rid of these dogs in your soul. Screwing up the shalom. Oh, well, I'm attached. That's the problem. They're not just chained. You're chained. And I want you to be free. I don't know. I think I'm going to hang on for him a little bit. Oh, it bit me. Okay, let's get him out of here. That's how it works, right? You have to receive the word. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we, we also thank God continuous, continually because when you received the word, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word from men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Oh, I believe God for my spirit, man, but I'm not really sure about my soul. And this flesh of mine, it caused me too much trouble. I'm going to just hang on to heaven. Nah, friend. You not only have to receive the word, you got to retain it. Proverbs 4, 4 says it like this. He taught me and he said to me, retain my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Don't receive my word. They already have it. You got to retain it to live. The word of God is more than words. Amen. Jesus himself is the word of God. And we have to receive the word and we have to retain the word so that we can reflect the word. John 1.10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Is that true for us today, saints? Has the light moved into your spirit, man, but the rest of you is unwilling to receive him? Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born of not of natural descent, nor of human decision or or of a husband's will, but born of God. Wow. John verse John 1:14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Some translations said he tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace, empowerment and full of truth. Telling me what, how it is. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them for, by the truth for your word is truth. Wow. First John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. And we have seen in the realm of the flesh with our own eyes. We have looked at with our own hands and touched. It's appealing to the flesh. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The word of life. This life 
appeared and manifested. We have seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim it to you that it is eternal life, which was with the father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with him so that you might return to communion with God, be in co-union with him. And our fellowship is with the father and with the son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make your joy complete. They had the spirit, but they didn't have the joy of the Lord because they didn't tap in to the sufficiency of his word. Do you want the joy of the Lord to be complete in you this morning, saints? Then you must remove man-made sufficiencies and make room for God to show you that his word is sufficient for your spirit. It is sufficient for your soul and is sufficient for your flesh. Colossians 1.16 says it like this, for by him, all things, say all things, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things were created by him and for him. That means your spirit was created by him and for him, your soul was created by him and for him to work in, and your flesh was created by him and to work through. How do you think he's going to work, saints? Hmm. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. Saints, historical Christian orthodoxy has nothing to do with your deeds or your creeds and everything to do with those who believe that the price Jesus paid for us did not come with limits. It came with his fullness. And what part of you has he not penetrated? By all things, do you believe that he excluded any one part of you? All things. Which part of you was excluded from all things? Was it your spirit, soul, or flesh? None. So which area have you excluded him from? No. He's the word of God. Amen. Amen. And the word of God is sufficient for every single part of you. You are going to learn how to differentiate whether this is a spirit issue, a soul issue or a flesh issue so that you can know which one to get in line with truth and the sufficiency of his word. Amen. Second yeah. Corinthians 317. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's what? And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. Wow. And we are being transformed into the likeness, into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. And has infused your spirit with him, making you at one with him again. Atonement. Hello. And cause a process to begin in you of healing. That's the end goal of the sufficiency of Scripture, saints. To reconcile your distorted image made in the garden 
by restoring you to the image of Christ. Let me ask you something. Is he able to accomplish what he set out to do? Well, the day that you were born again, he had a mission in mind. And we already said it. The men are the mission. Yes. 